A sheriff's deputy goes for a jog, and his entire life changes. And then we take a look at the story of the grinning man. Tall, lanky, maniacal smile. He stares at you from the darkness. His insanity is his greatest weapon. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We're going to go ahead and jump right into this because we got a lot of stuff to cover. So let's go ahead and put on our jumping pants and we down the... Oh, that's... I want to say down the rabbit hole, but that always sounds so stupid. Just a hole. We we're going down the hole. We're gonna fall all the way down this hole. We have to find new modes of transportation since the carbon copter got blown up. But we fall all the way down the hole to Azalea, Oregon. Now I have no idea where that's at, but it sounds pretty. It sounds serene. It sounds peaceful. And we're specifically going back to March nineteenth, nineteen ninety-one. Hair metal was on its way out. Grunge was on its way in. Next year, Terminator 2 was going to be released at theaters. And I was... 14 years old when this story took place. Odd, really? 17 and 94, so yeah, I was 14 years old. I was a freshman in high school as the story took place. Not like that has any bearing on the story itself, but I just want you to imagine little Jason in his cross colors, big giant African medallion, and um baggy pants on backwards in this story and i'm standing like a b-boy i'm just in the background of every part of the story standing just like that now i have to have a little levity because this story gets a little grim what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about the story of tommy gibson tommy gibson was a two and a half year old boy playing in his yard and he's just kind of messing around chasing caterpillars Sticking sticks in ant holes, stuff like that. Stuff that kids do. And his father, Larry Gibson, sheriff's deputy, says, Hey, hey, Tommy, Tommy, don't go anywhere. Wait till your sister comes out. But you gotta stay in the you gotta stay in the yard. And he's like, Okay. So and Larry Gibson's like, Okay, my son's gonna stay he's a good boy. He's not gonna do anything. So he leaves the yard and goes for a jog, like he had planned to do. Now, generally when he goes on his jog, he keeps his forty five on him, his sidearm. He goes for the jog. He keeps it on him for protection. He also is having a serious issue with cats. Feral cats in the area. Not giant ones, but like little ones. But still, they were kind of damaging the property. And he was shooting the cats. So automatically, all you cat lovers out there are like, that guy is a scumbag. But I'm just telling you what he was doing. He was shooting cats. Not for fun. He was just getting them off of his property. He goes for his jog. At some point during the jog, his wife... Tommy's mom hears a gunshot. And she goes, Oh, Larry, casual animal abuse, so romantic. And she just keeps washing the dishes. I don't know, maybe she was an attorney. That was sexist. But anyway, she's doing something in the house. She hears the gunshot. She eventually goes, Oh, I need to go out and get Tommy. Change his diaper and then do the laundry. And or run a successful company because i'm a ceo i don't know so anyways so she goes out to find tommy he's missing she's like hmm where could that little scoundrel be she's looking around for him tommy tommy can't find him she's starting to get worried because he's two and a half 
left out in this front yard. 45 minutes after he left, Larry Gibson gets back to his house from his jog. And he's like, oh, man. Oh, man. I can't. It was a good jog, man. I've been running for 45 minutes. Look at my watch. Remember that, honey? 45 minutes is when I left. 45 minutes ago. And she's like, yeah, yeah. Why are you acting so weird? He's like, just out of breath. And she goes, well, you're going to have to be even more out of breath because our son's missing, so we got to find him, so start running around looking for our son. Now, they end up calling the police, obviously. Police come out. And and at this point, Larry's panicking. The mom's panicking. Um, they have a daughter, an older daughter as well. Everyone's panicking. The police show up. Police trying to calm everyone down, and Larry's like, you know what? No, dude. Screw this, dude. He's like, I'm going to go take my shower. They're like, you are awfully sweaty. He's like, yeah, I was, I was jogging for 45 minutes here. My wife saw me come back 45 minutes later, and she's like, that's kind of weird. But anyway, so he's like, I'm so sweaty. I'm going to go take a shower, nice, hot, relaxing shower, put on my cop uniform. And the other cops at this point are like, that's a weird thing, but maybe he just really needs a shower, and he wants to have the authority of his uniform as he's looking for his son. So anyways, he goes and he showers. They're not waiting around for him, but he's like reading a magazine on the toilet. They're like, hey, Larry, we're trying to search for your kid. Are you going to come out? And he's like, and he's like, yeah, 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 I'll be there in a second. I'm sorry. I'm just reading this article. It's really good. And then they hear like the hot water turn on. And he's like waiting for it to get hotter. They're like, but anyway, so they're already searching for the kid. They don't want to wait, wait around for him. Larry eventually comes out of the shower and he's wearing his uniform, starts searching for the kid as well. They can't find him. They're interviewing all the neighbors. They're interviewing the family members. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Now, the only thing that they know is there was a gunshot fired at some time, but the wife was like, it was most likely my husband shooting a cat. And he goes, I did. I shot a cat. And the investigators found a cat with a bullet hole through it on his property. Like, it was walking along the fence, and a bullet went through it and killed it. So the cops are like, okay, that explains the gunshot, but it doesn't explain where the kid is. So they keep looking. He is then told by his boss, you don't have to come into work. Really, just go home. Take your uniform off. Just relax. We got this handled. And he's like, no. Gotta help find my son. I know that he's out there. I can feel it. I can feel it in my bones. They're like, well, just stay at home. Okay? They don't openly want to say he's a suspect because he's a brother. He's a brother of the badge. He's a, but he's a suspect. They don't want him driving around in a cop car, but he disobeys orders, gets in his cop car, and he begins searching local rest areas looking for whoever took his son. Now, the FBI eventually comes out because it's a kidnapping, and they begin interviewing the neighbors, and the neighbors go, hmm, you know, I did see, like, this beige van pull up, and there was, like, this white man and this white woman get out, and and then, you know, I, th- I didn't see them actually take Tommy, but I did see these suspicious people around the, around the house, and Larry's like, aha! Yes, those are the people who took my son. And the cops are like, well, it's possible. Possible. We'll look into it. Quit popping out of nowhere, Larry. You can't just keep doing that every time we find a clue. The police get a letter that's never been disclosed to the public, and it was signed Spot on the Road, that contained information that they believe, that they that led them to believe that the person who wrote the letter knows what happened to little Tommy. But they've never disclosed what's in the letter. And then the case goes cold. There's... Really no leads outside of the van that pulled up. In 1993, there was a song. I love this song, too. It was a song by Soul Asylum called Runaway Train. And it's a song about runaways. And in the song, in the videos, they would show pictures of kids who had gone missing. And I didn't know this, but every country or every region, I guess, had different photos. So the photos we saw in the American version of the video was different than the photos they showed in the British version of the video 
or the South American version of the video and things like that. Out That video, it's amazing to think, that video found 26 kids. Not the video itself. The video didn't grow legs and start walking around. But because of that video, because of those photographs, 26 kids were found. One of them, though, said, my family was abusive and I ran away because they were abusive and I was at my boyfriend's house and your video came on. Thanks a lot, jerks. She told them that. She went to a concert of theirs and said, you guys ruined my life because I went and went back to a really bad environment. But 25, 25 happy endings. And Tommy's image was in Runaway Train in 1993. I love that song. It is still, it's still a great song. 1994, Larry Gibson is arrested for manslaughter. And this is the working theory that the cops had. He shot the cat, and the bullet went clean through the cat. Because it's a forty-five. He goes clean through the cat and hit his son. And he found that his son had been hit and was bleeding out and panicked. So he hid the body and then went on the rest of his jog. When he came back, the, the, cat, the kid was missing and he's like, oh, I'm just going to go take a shower. And they think that he used his squad car to hide the body in and then dump it somewhere. That was what they argued in court. His daughter eventually said that she had seen him beat Tommy. She saw Larry beat Tommy until he went limp, put him in a black trash bag, threw it in the back of the police car, drove away. And then the FBI started to believe that they, when they were looking at notes, they said the co- when the cops interviewed the neighbors, they didn't mention anything about a beige van. But when the FBI interviewed the neighbors, they did. So they, so they started thinking that Larry was basically witness tampering and telling them, that, say, say this, say this. So, with two possible theories of how he died, either he was shot accidentally, or the daughter saw him beat him to death. No real evidence of either one. Just a hunch. I mean, absolutely no evidence. And apparently, like people said, oh, he confessed to me that he killed the boy, but it was all hearsay. He denied all of it. No body. Nothing. He gets convicted, oddly enough. Three years in prison for manslaughter was his sentence. So it was this weird hedge thing where they convicted him of a very, very minor charge. I mean, like, manslaughter is a major charge, but three years in prison is really nothing. You can do that standing on your head. And then he gets out of prison, and he still denies to this day, I had nothing to do with the death of my son. I don't know who did it. He did say at one point in an interview with the police, he goes, when he was originally being investigated, they said, is it possible that you shot the cat and the bullet hit your son? And he goes, I guess it's possible. I mean, that would make sense, wouldn't it? But I didn't hide the body. He goes, my brother-in-law, who also lived there, may have hid the body and not have told me, but I didn't hide the body. It's po- So that also made them suspicious. But anyways, he got out and he's like, I'm free, I'm free, and now I will find the real killers. I mean, kidnappers of my kid. Last we saw of Larry Gibson, I believe he's still alive. He's a country western musician. He moved to, I think it was Idaho or Montana. You might just be traveling that area. Um, You can listen to his songs online. I'll have the website in the show notes. I can't put any of his songs here, but feel free to listen to them. The best part of the website is, it's an old website, and it warns you when you go to the photos page, this page is graphics heavy. If you're on dial-up, it may take a while for all the pictures to load. A charming end to a chilling story. Did he actually accidentally shoot his son? 
and was able to clean up the crime scene in 20 minutes, including all the blood on the grass. The kid was silent the whole time. Nobody saw anything as he bagged this kid up, hid him, went on a jog, endured a police search as they were searching the area. They didn't find the body. Then he's able to put the body into his police car without anyone noticing and, and then dumping it without anyone seeing him. Did he beat a kid? Like, her story kind of came out of the blue. Did he beat him, put him in a trash bag, throw him in the back of the car, and the mom not see him beat him? The boy not make any noise when he beats him? What's bizarre is, like, I I think the guy probably did do it. I don't think, I'm not giving this whole thing like he's innocent. I just think it's weird that he got convicted with absolutely no evidence, just hunches, and what people were saying. And a sheriff's deputy for a member of law enforcement to be prosecuted successfully for something like this with no evidence is bizarre. Because normally it's the other way around. Normally there's that code of silence. I think one of the key pieces of evidence is that spot on the road letter. It either exonerates him completely or it damns him to his three-year prison sentence. But we don't know what that letter says. I think they're keeping that under wraps because of that. But whatever, guilty or innocent, Tommy is missing, presumed to be dead. And the father on his search for the real killers is playing honky-tonks, granges, and the occasional wedding. Maybe he'll find the killer in those places. Maybe he finds the killer every time he looks in the mirror. But let's go ahead and move on to another story, one that's a little more upbeat, unless you are scared of maniacs in your bedroom. So this is, again, a bizarre story because it kind of falls into an area where is it, what is this phenomenon? Some people may classify it as a ghost. There's been a lot of effort to classify it as an alien. Is it a demon? Who knows? Hopefully... You never have to find out. Tonight, you go to sleep. You're lying in bed, comfortable, in the safety of your own home. But out of your sleep, you sense something in your room. It's so palpable, it wakes you up. And you're laying there in the darkness. And you know there's something there that shouldn't be. You don't have to see it. You don't have to hear it. You just know. And that feeling of dread that is just washing over you freezes you in place. And you feel the foot of your bed become a little heavier. Something has now joined you in your bed. You don't want to look. But you feel compelled to. Whether it's curiosity, whether it's caution, whether it's blind fear of what will happen if you don't look, you roll over and you see it. He's sitting on the edge of your bed, and his face has a grin so wide, it's inhuman. It's a mixture of both fiendish delight and torment, pain. You can't tell. It's both and neither. His eyes are wild. He's staring at you. And he's rubbing his chest with his hands. 
just rubbing himself up and down, just staring at you. Silently, you just hear the sound of the fabric as his hands brush against his chest. And then he's gone. You still have this afterimage, of course, of this thing that was at the foot of your bed. In your bed with you. You can't get it out of your mind. And if you think Jason's just telling oh, a spooky story, because he knows a lot of people listen to the podcast at night, that story I just told you was exactly what happened to young women between the year 1976 and 1979 in Glasgow, Scotland. Most specifically, there is a, an area, it was the Crosshill District in Glasgow. And, oddly enough, they could fit it into a time period, 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Now, usually in that time period, but not all the time. Because the story I told you was later at night, a woman was in bed with her husband. She woke up. The grinning man was sitting at the foot of her bed, describing what she said he was wildly rubbing his chest. Which, it's funny because if you wake up and there's something standing at the foot of your bed just staring at you, that's quite terrifying. Or if you wake up and you see a little girl standing in the corner of your room, that's very scary. But if you woke up in the middle of the night and you saw that shadowy figure at the end of your bed, not just standing there silently, but spinning around like a top with his arms stuck out and his tongue just wagging each time revolution, you see his tongue going, that's creepier. We have this thing where... There's what we expect to be normal behavior and what's abnormal behavior. And it's funny because that also comes into the paranormal. When I was reading this story, the Grinning Man does such crazy, creepy things that it elevates it to other than just like a, a girl playing, a girl jump roping with a rope, like a little ghost girl. Not just regular girl jump roping, but like a ghost girl jump roping. If instead of the girl, the, the ghost girl, you could have them like you're walking down the hallway and you see a ghost girl riding a tricycle. But what if you were walking down the hallway and you saw the ghost girl rolling around on the ground like she was a pig going... <laughs> that's that's ten times creepier. And that's what's so disturbing about this Grinning Man phenomenon. For three years, you had multiple women spotting this thing. Here's another example. Two teenage girls were walking home one day. They see a bald, grinning man. They said he appeared to be in his 50s. And he wore a le- like a one-piece leotard. So almost like a dance, like a dancer's clothes. So you saw his hands, you saw above the neck, and you saw his feet. I don't know if he was wearing shoes. Again, it'd be creepier if he wasn't. And he's the way he's moving is very herky jerky. It's it's like he can't control his body. Each step is some sort of spasm as he's moving towards them. Far that's to me creepier than if he was running full bore at me because I know how to deal with something that's running at me. But if someone's like, and they're like making these weird movements, that's way creepier. Those girls start running, they turn around, they look, he's completely gone. And it's just a long shot trail where they're at. And they're like, we know he didn't pass us. And he didn't run the other way because he couldn't run that fast. Where did he go? One time, I thought this was so creepy. A woman came out of her house to get the milk jugs because, you know, it's back in 1976. She goes out to get the milk jug. She looks up and she sees the grinning man across the street just jogging in place. <laughs> I mean, what is up with this guy? Only women saw him. I think they had like a total of like between like 11 and 17 sightings. Only seen by women. And some women were reportedly so disturbed by it, they moved away. It was such a creepy thing to see. 
What's so bizarre about The Grinning Man is it doesn't really fall into any particular category. It's human, but human-type things can be cryptids, and it is restricted to a certain geographical location, which would make you think of something like a Bigfoot or a Loveland Fraud or something like that. But then it exhibits these ghostly things where it can vanish right in front of you. Cryptids normally like scurry off into the woods. That's why people think they're more like animalistic. They're more like realistic type things. He can disappear right in front of you. He can enter your home. He can move he can enter your home unannounced where you won't notice him, but when he's at the foot of your bed, he can give you a sense of dread so you do notice him. You're walking down a dark hallway and you know something's behind you and you don't want to look. It's the grinning man. The fact that only women could see him is such a bizarre detail to the whole story. So you have all these... It's just such a weird story because when we think about stuff like Friday the 13th... I, I, I know movies aren't documentaries, but when you talk about stuff like Friday the 13th, they take place at Camp Crystal Lake. When you talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, it takes place on Elm Street. So you have all this stuff that is very area-specific, and so are cryptids with like the level and frog like I was talking about. But... To have this neighborhood plagued for three years with this creature that only women can see, its it seems so sex-based. It seems so perverted. Mixed with that insanity, plus that horrible face, there's very few things people can do that's more unsettling than an unearned grin. If I tell a joke, I expect someone to smile. I demand it almost. But if I'm... Talking to someone, and as I'm talking to them, they just start getting this huge grin on their face. You're just walking in a room and someone turns to you and they have a huge smile. It's very, very disconcerting. It might be some evolutionary thing about people showing their teeth. It might just be because it's very out of place. If you walk into a room and someone's making a sad face, you're going to go like, oh man, what's the matter? But if you walk into a room and someone has a wide grin, you're not going to go, what's so funny? You're going to be like, slowly back out of the room. I would at least, if someone's generally laughing when they think something's funny, like I've never seen anyone just sit in a room just smiling wildly. The Grinning Man, it's also referred to as the Gurning Man of Scotland, but, and there's a Grinning Man in America, we'll cover that on a future episode, because that's more of an alien thing, and I don't think there's a connection between the two. I've tried working out connections with those, but there just doesn't seem to be any connection. The experiences of the women, well, one, Grinning Man in America was seen by a man, only one man, and then this one's only by women in this other country. The only thing that they have in common is they're bald and they have grins, which which might sound like a lot in common. We'll cover that on another episode, but I mean, you know, when you lock your doors to your house, when you get into your bed, you assume those things are safe and you assume worst case scenario, someone's going to kick down your door, you're going to hear it, you're going to be prepared, or maybe you're asleep and someone jumps on top of you and you have to start wrestling them and things like that. Obviously, worst case scenario is you get a knife through your head while you're sleeping, but you're like, Jason, I'm not going to bed at night. But you know what I mean? Like, there are certain things we can prepare for. You don't prepare to have a silent visitor creature show up at the edge of your bed, but if you do, you do plan that if you woke up and there was a man sitting on the edge of your bed, how you would fight back. But if that man was rubbing his chest and smiling at you, it's just such a bizarre scenario. Jogging in place. Just moving in a creepy fashion. Those would all kind of set you off. That would activate your flight response. How would you fight someone who was jogging in place? Like, you would 
yell at them, tell them to stop, and they would keep doing it. And they, oh, I'm going to bust you a good one, mate. I'm going to bust you a good one. Like, how? And then you get there, and he's just looking at you jogging in play. I, I feel like you'd almost be too afraid to hit him. This guy's obviously insane. But what happens when you mix the insanity with magic? You get something that really can't be stopped. That can get you anywhere it wants to. But to me, the weirdest part of this story is why did it stop? Did it get what it wanted and it wanted to scare 17 women? It wanted to be a lasting impression in their brain? Did it move on to somewhere else? I think that's what happened. I think it's become more discreet. Instead of popping up 17 times over the course of about three years in one neighborhood, take your show on the road. You can only rob so many banks in a city before they get wise to you. You can only pass so many counterfeit bills before they know what to look for. Maybe Scotland was just a little training ground for it, before it went worldwide. Because if someone saw this now, in the middle of Idaho, they would think it was a one-off thing that only they experienced. Some creepy apparition, ghost, demon thing that they saw. Is it stood in the bushes, this tongue sticking out, and then blinks out of existence. There'd be no one hunting for it if no one knew it existed. I think that seeing it at the end of your bed, rubbing its chest, which is just such a bizarre image, is creepy. But what would almost be even more creepy than that? If it was doing that, but was invisible. The Grinning Man may still be in Scotland. It may have taken its show on the road, but it may have become more discreet. So now when you're walking down the hallway, and you get that kind of chill up the back of your neck, you don't want to look, you don't turn around, but you feel compelled to, and you turn around, hallway's empty, it's just you. Just outside of our field of vision, invisible to the human eye, may be a tall, bald man rubbing his chest right behind you, grinning wildly at all the fun he's having. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.